Here they come! Welcome to episode 112 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the start of Saturn III, from the opening credits to touchdown at the food research base. Say hello to my little friend! There's quite a few notable films marking their 40th birthday this year. Um, Alien, Apocalypse Now, Life of Brian, Quadrophenia, uh, Black Hole. Would you put Saturn 3 on that list, Andrew, as a notable film of 79? Um, it's quite hard to say, really. I mean, um, it's it's a film that I've always enjoyed watching, Um but it doesn't sort of immediately jump out. I mean, if you hadn't mentioned that it was in its 40th year, then I probably wouldn't have even realised. Um, mm. But, you know, it, it, it's a film that I've always enjoyed watching, um, you know, since the days of VHS, and then I've got it on DVD. I haven't got it on Blu-ray, I've only got it on DVD. I don't even know if there's a Blu-ray in this country of it yet. No, not in this country. There is in the States with right. lots of extras. Yeah, I've got the DVD, but you get just the trailer, don't you? That's all you've yeah, got. Yeah, mm. uh, But, you know, it... Again, I, I, has it ever been on TV recently? Because I can't no. remember ever seeing it on any station. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, every now and again, I sort of dig out the DVD and give it a watch. And you know, I, it's an enjoyable movie. It's not a classic or anything by any means, but uh, it's a good sort of seven out of ten as a movie mm. for me. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoy it on the same level that I enjoy Battle Beyond the Stars. I enjoy it for for the special effects more than the characters themselves. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I mean the, the difference is obviously with Saturn Three, we've got very few characters, haven't we? Really, we've, mm. we've kind of well, like got the three, three and a bit. Three main ones: the robot and the dog. You know. Yes. Oh, I've forgotten about the dog. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of about it. Uh, besides, mm. a few extras at the beginning, a few extras at the end. Mm. So, so is that your history with it? You just saw it first on video. You never got to see it in the cinema. No, um, I just remember a friend of mine renting it. Uh, probably on VHS back in the day and just watching it um, pan and scan and, mm. you know, sort of thinking it was an okay movie then. Um, you know, the robot always stood out as being interesting and uh, some of the miniature work and stuff like that. Mm. And obviously, I was a big fan of Farrah Fawcett because I grew up watching her. Weren't in, like, we all? Char- Charlie's Angels. Yeah, yes, so, you know, yes, yes. Yeah, um, and and Logan's Run as well. I always remember yeah. her in Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With me, I mean, it's it's a case of my first exposure to the film was the novel. I had the novel first, uh, oh, right, the, yeah. the the Stephen Gallagher novel, which I've still got. I've got it here. It's sat by me right now because there's. Uh, uh, a couple of interesting bits from the sequence we're going to talk about in here, but we'll talk about that when we reach it. But right. yeah, no, I, for some reason I bought the, the, how much was it? It's 95p. Yeah. It's a 95p sphere <laughs> science fiction book. Um, I, I had that and at the same time Starburst featured yeah. A, yeah. Um, uh, it quite a, a lot, didn't it? Yeah. Did the novel have the pictures in the middle end like they normally did? No, 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 oh, no, no, right, no, no. Really? Oh, yeah, okay. no, no. And and you've just got a uh, uh, a, a colour drawing of Hector on the front. Right. Oh, that's and unusual because nearly all the novels back then sort of tended to have about five or six pages of stills, didn't they? No, no. That might have been a rights thing because, of course, it's a Lord Grade film, isn't it? And Lord Grade, you know, he was very tight with his money. Where, right. where necessary. Um, so, yeah. So, my, my exposure is the novel, the Starburst magazine, and finally, I did see it when I showed it. It was on a double bill with something else uh, right. in the first cinema I was a projectionist at, but I can't remember what the other one was. It would have been second feature to it, but yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that's my history to it. Right. Hmm. All right. Shall we, uh, shall we talk about it then? Yeah. All right. Are we, are we having a clip first? Yeah, let's have the clip now. Okay. In an isolated sector of our solar system, 
suspended in orbit around the sixth planet from our sun, lies a distant outpost, a technologically perfect world where mistakes are impossible, because the impossible is unthinkable. It is called Saturn III. Each year for 22 days, a solar eclipse plunges this outpost into shadow lock. Total darkness. All communication is terminated. This year, the inhabitants of Saturn III are about to experience the unthinkable. A nightmare so perfect it could only have been made by man. Captain, Major, this is my partner. There are only four inhabitants on Saturn III. One of them is not human. Um, so yeah, putting this in the DVD player for reviewing for tonight, um, first startling thing that occurred to me is how far a faucet got billing over Kirk Douglas and Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's I mean, weird, I, isn't it? I suppose, in a way, she was very popular at that time, um, you know, with Charlie's Angels and stuff, so maybe he's... You know, that was the reason why. Yeah, and it's Farrah Fawcett now, isn't it? Because at this time, she had just split up with Lee Majors. Yeah. We, yeah. we know her as Farrah Fawcett Majors. I always think of her as Farrah Fawcett yeah, Majors. Yeah. Never just Farrah Fawcett. No. Mm. And then I say, I suppose, um, Keitel was just... He, he, he'd he been in a few of uh, Scorsese's early films, hadn't he? But mm. he wasn't like a, a known name. This is the first thing I'd certainly seen him in. Mm. Was uh, Taxi Driver 80? Did he make Taxi Driver the year after this? He was in Main Street. Was he in Main Street? He was in Main Street before Taxi Driver. Yeah, Yeah. so I think he'd probably been in Main Street and then Taxi Driver was around about the same sort of time. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, well, it wasn't 79. Taxi Driver wasn't 79. I think Taxi Driver was 80, I think. It wasn't 78, I don't think. No. Stand to be corrected. All right, so yeah, we get that. We get silent credits. I thought for a minute my, my DVD had gone stuff but uh, yeah it's completely silent credits to begin with Um, and then we do get to see Saturn and we got the Elmer Bernstein music yeah and and we we've got that thing with the credits a little bit like Alien where the kind of the the well they emerge don't they three sort of appears in sections isn't Mm, it so it's a a little bit of Alien going on there Mm. Um, and then we've got the spaceship coming overhead which is oh that is such a cliche now, you know. We've mentioned yeah. it before on this podcast. So many times I think people thought they, they had had the first idea of, of ripping off the Star mm. Destroyer coming over the head. And boy, it comes over almost exactly the same. And yeah. in fact, it's very slabby. It, it, if anything, it's a slabbier and more featureless ship than the Star Destroyer was. You know? Yeah, it, it's a very, for me, like nondescript ship. I couldn't really... You sort of really only ever see that kind of one angle, that underside angle, so you don't have any idea of what what the rest of it looks like. Mm. You know, I wonder if they only built the underside. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Because it is featureless to begin with, but then we get to a lot of busy stuff, don't we? Yeah, there's that radar in the middle, which is a very unusual shape for some reason. It's yeah. kind of almost like it's it's like a, a foil plate that's being warped out of shape. Yeah. Uh, but But then all around that, thing it looks to me like i don't know it might be sort of tamia half track bodies or something right wrapped around the full circle mm. Mm. Um, but we yeah. don't see it clearly enough to actually tell no, do we no you know and we don't really know what this is because yeah we assume it's a spaceship it is yeah. traveling it goes over our heads you know yeah, and yeah. and in the novel it doesn't it doesn't tell you it just the sequence we're talking about in the novel you've got this captain james waking up and he's late for his launch it doesn't actually right. say where he is yeah. you know yeah mm. um so we go inside this craft whatever it is and we see captain james's ship this terrific bug-like lander mm. craft i yeah. love this design I, w- I wish somebody had made a, a model kit of this yeah it, it it's a nice i mean it's, it's so different from Obviously, the Star Wars and Alien stuff, it's got like a real unique look to itself, hasn't it? Mm. Um, you know, I do like it. And the fact that kind of like the actual 
domes have almost like airbrushed on kind of like that kind of um, the bug eye bu- bu- hexagon yeah, yeah pattern yes not on all of it but just kind of around the, the the periphery of the domes by the look of it i'm sure this is john barry i'm sure that's a john barry design yeah mm. but the, the the one shot i, I do um remember is the obviously the uh the kind of you see that sort of circular logo thing and then just like the figures kind of walk into frame mm. don't they yes um and for some reason, you know, considering this was after Star Wars and after Alien, it feels much more kind of Logan's run. Oh, I, I, I was thinking 2001. No, I've, I, I kind of get the... Uh, with the music and that, it just seems like... It, it's, it's almost like, you know, this predates Star Wars in terms of, you know, what they would have done as a science fiction had Star Wars, you know, not yet come out. Mm. Because it's almost yeah. that kind of Logan's runny type feel to it in a way. That's how science fiction was going until Star Wars, wasn't it? it... Yeah, and you know, uh it it does have its own unique qualities and it's it is quite nice to look at, but you, you know, at least they didn't just try to copy Alien or or Star you know, Wars. Or Star Wars. Yeah, yeah I mean, they yeah. could have easily just gone down like the Outland sort of route, you know, and mm. just just ripped off one of the existing films yeah uh... yeah before we get to that though we see as i say we've got this this craft and it's on pad 73 okay except it's just a pad this is the full size version of the ship and Mm. it's just on a pad with blackness beyond it you don't see any walls or anything do you yeah, it's a very sort of minimal set in a way, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but a bit of sort of few pipes leading from it, some steam, uh, you know, getting vented and things. But that's kind of it. Yeah, it's not really. It's a very nondescript set. Mm, mm. And yeah, next we have we've got as you say this like Logan's Run style plaza with the logo, and you've got this whole bunch of crew emerging in silhouette, yeah. um, which always reminds me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, yeah. the yeah. way they just come up and over like that. Mm. Mm. And uh, they're loading his ship up. That, that sh- this is the only niggle I've got with his ship. That ship is tiny. Yeah. Okay, they've got all the parts for Hector in in these cases, haven't they? And they're yeah, going to load it all like, up. Loading them all around the seat, aren't they? Yes, you just know. around there. There is no storage thing. And there's no room for really for an engine on yeah. that craft either. No, there is like an engine below it, but there's no like like the lunar lander has like an area below where you could probably store stuff. It's just yeah, it's a minimal craft in a way. It's very minimal, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we get a split screen of another plaza where the top half mirrors the bottom, so the people in the top half of the frame are upside down compared to the people at the bottom. Again, a bit of a two thousand and one thing where you've got you know where you see yeah. that on the base, don't you? It's it's a bit odd that shot though because the ones on the left hand side are the right way up and the ones on the right hand side are the wrong way up. Yeah. It's like but it's the same. It's it's not like the two thousand and one thing where the top or the upside down or whatever. It, it's split down the middle and it looks odd. Mm. And he's kind of running, isn't he? Kind of down the middle of this. Yes. Yeah. Walk, yeah. Walkway. This is Captain James. And also, what is odd is where if you look in the windows, you've got rows of windows, and every other window has people a certain way up. So so. Are these like individual rooms, or are, have you got people who are standing on the ceiling and on the floor yeah. in the same room? Yeah, it's it's like they're trying to do something inventive, but it just doesn't really have an ex- like a realistic reason behind it. No, no. Mm. Yeah, um, and also we go in this locker room, and yeah. uh, we don't see this guy. We see him donning a spacesuit from a locker named Benson. Yeah. All right. Now, yeah, this is where the novel. Uh, comes in because shortly Captain James is going to go in and says oh is that you Benson and then he starts talking about you know how he's been uh, psychiatrically advised and are you going to appeal and all like this you see Um, which really doesn't make much sense I mean it's just like it seems like that's a throwaway line but in the novel I've, I've got it open at the right page here it the the way it plays out is in the novel this unidentified person is putting on a suit at uh, Benson's locker. And when Captain James goes to his locker, his suit doesn't fit him. Okay. Right. And then he realizes it's Benson's suit. Okay. Um, so your Harvey Keitel has swapped suits. And the whole idea, and I'll, I'll read it to you. Where is it? It's da 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 da. 
The, his death, by the way, Captain James's death, takes up um, half a page. You know, right. it, th- th- this is quite a sequence here, but in the book, it's only like half a page. Um, bom, 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 bom. If questions were to be asked, it would seem obvious that it was Benson who had spaced himself in a moment of black self-pity. Right. So, okay. so, so that's yeah, yeah. That line, that one line that we get in the film, is a reference to the fact that this Benson pilot was under uh, undergoing psychiatric treatment, and they will just assume that he had committed suicide. That's why he is wearing Benson's suit, Captain Jones, yeah. when he dies. So I suppose when he obviously arrives at the launch pad, if there if there was an identification on his suit, they just think it was him. Yes, because he's yeah. got the right suit on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what that all is. Um, what do you think of the suit? What do you think of this green space suit? I quite like the design. I remember sort of when I first seen it. I mean, it's it it's kind of like a green space suit with like external pipes. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit like the kind of stuff we've seen on the Cybermen later on, yep. and and on the um, the suits in Alien and the the, the lockers. Um, and the helmet's a unique design. It doesn't really explain, you know, what, what how you'd see out of it. It's quite a weird sort of. It's not really a visor, is it? It's more like a, a nose, and you don't really sort of see where the eyes are. They're a bit. No, I love it. No, no, I yeah. love it for that reason. It's more bug-like, you know. Yeah. It, it, but it, it, is, it is a nice design, you know. I think that's that's one of the things again about this movie is sort of some of the designs work, mm. um, you know, really, really well. It's quite a unique suit. They could have easily just gone with a bog-standard kind of NASA suit with a tinted visor. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, they've that, yeah, they definitely try to do something different. And the locker room itself is kind of probably one of the few sets which kind of is a bit alien, aliens type feel to it. It is like the Colonial, Mar- Ma- Colonial Marines locker room, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. especially so that the, aerial shot. Well, yeah, not so aerial shot, but high up shot where you're looking down on the lockers. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because that's when you see that this this mysterious helmeted figure is in the locker room with Captain James as Captain James is getting into his suit. Yeah, he like walks around the back of the lockers, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Benson, this guy called Benson, he straps himself into a safety chair. Hmm. Um, and all the while, Captain James is going on about, you know, failing, him failing the test and will he appeal. And he doesn't seem to find it odd, you know, that this bloke isn't talking to him, is wearing yeah. this helmet, and he's strapped yeah. himself into an emergency evacuation seat. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, and it's at that point, that's when he opens up the airlock. Um, yeah. Um, it's not too convincing the air being sucked out. You don't really believe that all that air is going out, do you? No, no. Hmm. And, and then... Captain James quite uh, graphically is 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 diced up as he as he's sucked out across a grid. Yes, it's like a, a rectangular shape with sort of just sort of tensile steel stretched across about four or five bits, isn't it? You know. And What's it doing there? What's that grid for? I don't know. It's a bit other know, than to kill him horribly. <laughs> yeah, to make him slice up, and he he kind of sort of slices but also shatters at the same time doesn't he yes yes yeah um, yeah in the book um he he um damages his hand by grabbing hold of a, a cable which supports a catwalk right um, this the, the, what actually happens to him isn't in the book at all yeah mm. it's more like he just probably gets blasted into space yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it it's rather well done though um, oh yeah, if, yeah. It's, if it's a good if you slow it, slow it down, that's not bad for seventy nine. Um, considering yeah. it's a, a a dummy being chopped up, they, they, they've done a good job there. Yeah, I wonder what it was done with. I wonder if it was wax or something. Or... It's quite quite. Interesting I don't know. It, it it looks real. It looks like re- real meat. I don't know if yeah. they packed a dummy with real meat or an offal and yeah. stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, then we kind of see. Uh, Harvey Keitel's character sort of running with the... Oh, he, t- he takes the cylinder, doesn't he? Yes, with, with, um, it's Hector's brain, basically. Hector's brains, yeah, and then we kind of see him legging it down to the uh, mm. the thing. That's quite amusing, actually, that kind of voice, which is sort of saying, you know, can Captain... Captain James, was. yeah, you've yeah, had Captain three minutes. James. Yeah, it, 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 right from the beginning of the movie, it's constant. I think it changes as well from a man's voice to a woman's voice. I think when he goes into the locker room, I think a woman's voice is calling out the That's same right, thing. yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 and it's a nice model liftoff. Um, we, yeah, we, we, we got tons of white smoke, and mm. uh, because now this is the miniature spacecraft, now we do yeah. see the walls. You know, they've got the money to actually make a, a, a little diorama of it taking yeah. off. So you now yeah. do see the walls when it takes off. Mm. Um, and, and then he leaves the station. Uh, 
um, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's an odd shot that because you kind of see the the, the reverse of the um, station and it's kind of almost like a flashing light, isn't it? Yes. Like a, what looks like a bay, and then we just sort of see the speck of the ship kind of flying towards mm. us. Um, the, a lot of these shots are kind of quite far away. We not you know there's no real close up at this point of any of the ship. It's always quite a distance away. Mm. Um, yeah, really, so. but it works. It works. Yeah and, and, yeah, and he heads off to Saturn. Some of the uh, the the, the uh, effects of Saturn uh, they they vary in quality a bit in, yeah. in this bit, don't they? There is a reason <laughs> yeah. for for why some of them look like they do, but we'll talk mm. about that shortly. And uh, he flies along the top of the rings. <clears throat> yeah, um, and then does he go through the rings? Yeah, he he sort of appears to be actually sort of amongst the the, the rocks, doesn't he? And I don't, I don't know, like, how, why he's not crashing into them or anything. It just seems like he's flying through the actual rocks. Yes, yeah. And the ship flies, you know, horizontally now. So presumably yeah. his his pilot seat will tip up and yeah. and, and point forwards now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he goes down towards uh, Saturn III and mm. over uh, a miniature surface. Yeah. Um, which, hmm, uh, that's... That that that, yeah. that that hasn't dated well. That miniature landscape no, it, he flies over. I, I've seen the picture of that miniature, and it looks a lot bigger than it looks in the movie. And it's just got depth of field problems, basically, yes. hasn't it? You yeah, know, it just it looks small. Yeah, um, and we see like the domes as well of the research base, and they've put a couple of little figures in there of uh, of Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett in their spacesuits. I like their spacesuits as well. You yeah, know, yeah. They remind me now, watching it now, of um, the spacesuits in Sunshine, you know, with the that's, big yeah, bulbous that's, that's right. uh, yeah. heads to them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. I, again, I'm sure this is John Barry. I'm sure this is John Barry uh, design work going on. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he was a terrific designer. Um, yeah, and that, and that's when he lands at this research station. Um, it's a food research station, isn't it? Yeah, they kind of sort of stood there watching the ship come round that and then to see it landing and sort of just wait, waiting outside for him to to arrive. Yep, and arrive he does. He lands, they go in, and uh, mm. he takes his helmet off, and uh, it's old Hyvie Cartel, isn't it? Yeah, there's that nice decontamination sort of swirl as they go through that airlock, isn't yes. there? Yes, yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, Kirk Douglas says to him, you know, is, is what's in that cylinder safe? And he says, yeah, it's safe, you know. Mm. Mm. And of course, that's not Harvey Cartel talking, is it? No, it's uh, Roy, Roy Detrice. Roy Detrice. And Michelle Detrice is fine. Yeah, and I like it. I mean, I, I've, I've seen criticism of why didn't they use Harvey Keitel's voice. But Roy Detrice, he, he, he has such a cold, clipped voice. I think it really suits the character. Yeah, it, you could almost say it's kind of a, a more sinister version of the voices from 2001. Mm. It's just very functional, isn't it? You know, it's just he's just specifying kind of commands and orders and stuff. Uh, there's there's no emotion in that voice. Um, yeah. Mm. When he lands and everything, I mean, everything we've just been talking about, I tell you what I like about Saturn 3 is I can quite easily see this story taking place in the same universe as Outland that you mentioned earlier. I can yeah, see it yeah. being the same world as Alien or Blade yeah. Runner, you know. Mm. Um, they, 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 they all fit together, don't they? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's it. That's our sequence over because uh, from then on we go into acting, and that's our special effects sequence over. Um, I don't think there's any reason to give in the movie as to why the food research station is on this moon. No, Saturn, no, no. Know, like, why, why is it? Why is it not on our moon? Why is it so far away? Yeah. It, the, the only explanation is there must be a mineral or something there which yeah. promotes growth or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's our sequence. So, you know uh, the deal. We go into behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. Now, you're going to know a lot of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, John Barry uh, was a production designer. And, mm. uh, and the whole premise of this, uh, of this film came from him. And uh, he was working in Mexico in 75 on Lucky Lady. Yeah. And uh, he got talking to the director, Stanley Do. Is it Donnan or Donan? I'd, I'd say Donnan. Donnan, yes. Yeah. And yeah, no, he he talked to him about this um, low-budget movie that he had been thinking about. Uh, th th this It was going to be a very gothic thriller, science fiction thriller, set on the third moon of Saturn, okay? And uh, 
pretty much exactly what we see. You know, uh, th- th- this psycho comes along with an eight-foot-tall robot that's been sent to uh, to uh, help them. Yeah. And um, Donnan didn't want to do it, but he proposed that John Barry should it should be his uh, directing debut. Mm. And um, he showed it to Donnan's wife. Um, I can never say her name. Is it Yvette Mimu? Is it Yvette? Yvette. It might be. Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce this. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He gave it to her. She read it. She liked it. She passed it to her husband. And uh, and he said, yeah, it's good, but it needs more work. And so they passed it across to Martin Amis. Right. Uh, um, um, to for, for a rewrite, who was only just, um, um, you know, starting up his uh, uh, writing career. Mm. And uh, the reason he suggested him was because he had written a book called Dead Babies, uh, which um, featured some ri- rather nihilistic uh, characters. So he mm. thought that would fit in with uh, what was going to be happening in the film. So that's that. We, we, we go forward to 1978, uh, where Stanley uh, was on a um, uh, passed it on to Lou Grade, who then was yeah. on a plane um, coming back or going to uh, New York and was sat across the aisle from Farrah Fawcett and let her read the script and said, I think you should be in this. And that's when she came on board, right? Yeah. And um, so that was that. But as soon as she came on board, things started to change. You know, as I say, she's the number one billing in this film. Mm. So they did tweaks to the script to, uh, you know, to to suit her. And and they were always looking for an older uh, male, uh, to be with her, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, Stephen Gallagher, who's who's written this paperback that I've got in front of me, he's he said the script was terrible, um, it, and it had to go through an awful lot of rewrites. Not only to right. a bit because of Farrah Fawcett, but but um, yeah, it weren't too good. Um, do you know who the original casting choices were for Adam? No. Yeah, the, fir- the first one was Sean Connery. All right. Okay. Who at that time was forty nine? Okay. Yeah. Um, and how old? How old was uh, Kirk Douglas then when this was shot? Sixty four. Right, because you know, watching it obviously as I was when I was in my sort of teens, um, you know, he seemed probably way older than that to me. He probably looked like he was eighty four. Mm. You know, to, to my eyes, I just remember him looking a lot older. He, he was old in the fifties, wasn't he? He, he looked yeah, old in yeah. Spartacus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, they offered it to Sean Connery. He didn't want to do it. He was living in Spain as a te- tax exile at the time, so he didn't come back. Uh, they offered it to Michael Caine, um, right. and, uh, but he was in America for the same reason, so he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Kirk Douglas had just uh, finished uh, working on a film called Cactus Jack. Okay. That's right, yeah. And, uh, and he was intrigued by it, um, so he immediately agreed to do it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what have I got next? Uh, Stuart Craig, John Barry's That's assistant right, yeah. on Superman the movie, um, yeah, was production this was designer. His, this was his first solo production design was, credit, yeah. wasn't it? So I think he designed kind of primarily a lot of stuff to do with the actual inside of the base. Yes, right. Uh, like all the um, the corridors and stuff like that. I've never seen kind of who designed the costumes are written down. I mean, it could almost be John Moller costumes in a way, but uh, I don't think uh, Moller worked on this, but they're very similar to, you know, I could imagine a John Moller sketch, especially of those silver space suits. Mm. No, the, the the costume designer was Anthony Mendelssohn. All right. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he says uh, about Harvey Keitel's spacesuit, I've got a quote from him here, um, I wanted to get away from the traditional spacesuits, which we are all a bit bored with now, so I went with a contrast between old-fashioned cumbersome suits, which Kirk and Farah would have to wear, and a very practical, easy-to-wear suit for Harvey. Yeah. And then he says, his suit is made from a form-fitting green vinyl fabric with a cloth backing. It's remarkably supple and stretches when he moves. It springs yeah. back into shape without any belling or sagging at the elbows and knees. Funnily enough, it's mm. normally used as a furnishing fabric. All right. Now, I've seen this on, on our Blake Seven in Character podcast. Um, um, June Hudson used uh, furniture fabric for a lot of the costumes. Yeah. Um, right. And he also said the suit is zip-fronted and all air and heating lines are in black, which matches the space helmet designed by the art department. 
Yeah. Mm. And then there's there's that you know I, I really like that logo, the Saturn Three or that, or whatever that company logo mm. is. You know, because it's on his spacesuit and it's also on the you know the outfits Farrah Force and them wear. So it's on kind of everything. It's it's like their version of Will and Yutani or Conam, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I say I, I actually did a. A recreation of that in Photoshop quite a few years ago and got it printed on a T-shirt. Um, you know, so it's a it's a really nice graphic. I really like it. Mm. Mm. Um, Colin Chilvers was on this film as well. Um, yeah. Um, but mainly he was focused then on making Hector. Um, right. And uh, the the Saturn Three set, this base, you know, that Harvey's just landed on. Um, it took. Uh, it was at Shepperton Studios. Took seventy nine craftsmen four months to complete. And the result was one of the largest self-contained sets ever constructed in England at that time. Uh, it occupied the entire area of Shepparton's uh, A and B stages. Okay, right. And it says the set was so big that um, with its maze of connecting tunnels, the crew found themselves continually getting lost. And to rectify this, uh, a, a, a map of the set was posted at the soundstage entrance to help the crew stop getting lost. So that's a big one, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that 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 that's the uh, effects bods in place, um, and it seems that um, shortly after production got got underway, uh, Kirk Douglas started making life difficult for John Barry. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it says here his preoccupation with maintaining the perception of youthful vigor has been well documented, and it all seems to have come ahead while ma- come to head while making Saturn Three. Mm. Mm. And uh, and sorry. I think I think Kirk Douglas apparently he was a bit sort of I think he I read somewhere that um, he was kind of quite upset that uh, John Barry was spending more time with the robot than he was with mm. him because I think with the robot being kind of like you know the, one of the main focuses they needed to get it right so I think he was a bit put out that Barry wasn't really you know spending time with the the rest of the cast. Yeah, there's all sorts of theories about, you know, just what was the reason behind it. But whatever the reason was behind it, um, only Mm. two weeks into filming, uh, it was announced that uh, John Barry had left the production. Yeah. And would be replaced by old Stanley, uh, who was the film's producer. I I, I do believe that there is still footage in the movie that was shot by Barry. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I'm not not 100% sure what, but I do remember reading somewhere that as well, that there's definitely footage in there. There is some thought that a scene that he did direct was the uh, splinter in the eyeball and Hector taking oh, right, the... Okay. Which is a terrific scene. I mean, if that's John's, yeah. he, he did that really well. Yeah. Because ha- ha- had he directed before? No, no, this is his directing no, so, debut. So, so, so it was to be his debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, at the time of the film's release, uh, uh, Lou Grade's uh, PR machine, they just said it was creative differences. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, it started you started getting articles about the film in like Fantastic Films and Starlog that uh, more uh, more more stuff came to light. Mm. Mm. And then Donnan just then took over, didn't he? He basically? did. Yeah. He did. And he says, I've got a quote from him here, um it was my fault not John's. The truth is John hardly ever had had hardly ever been on a set which I didn't realise. He was such a terrific talent, but he had spent most of his time in an office. He knew next to nothing about staging a scene or handling actors. And since nature right. hates a vacuum, the actors jumped on him. Yeah. Mm. So no, no, through no fault of his own, really. No, no. Mm. He, he probably would have been better being the second unit, sort of uh, something really, learning the trade as he went along. Because he was quite young, wasn't he? He was only about in his early 40s. I he think, was 43 when he died. Was yeah. it right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Um, um, the cinematographer Billy Williams um, said right. uh, there was nothing wrong with the first two weeks' work, except that we were a little bit behind, and we were behind because it was taking so long. Any time we had to do something with the robot, and Kirk is what you said there. And Kirk Douglas had complained that the director was spending too much time with the robot, but right. it was inevitable. Yeah, In fact, the picture went weeks and weeks over schedule because you couldn't avoid the fact that the robot had to be in certain scenes. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah, and uh, apparently Kirk Douglas stepped in for a couple of day- days and did uh, direct some scenes for a couple of days oh, until right. Stanley okay. stepped in. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And what the thing I find unusual about this movie, uh, you probably the same, is kind of you know all of the other movies, whether it's uh, Star Wars and Silent Running and Flash Gordon and things like that, you kind of can name who the miniature builders mm. were. 
Yes. Uh, with with this, I have no idea. I've looked on IMDb, and there's a guy called Philip Sharp there, and I think there was another guy called um, I think it was might have been Jonathan Taylor or something. And then you've got a couple of optical effects people like Roy Field, who I do know the name of, and Wally Vivas. But you know, in terms of the the main miniatures, I've got really no idea who built them. Mm. Um, you know, because you th- you think with the the sort of production it was, you'd assumed it would have went to Meddings or mm. to sort of somebody like that in the UK. Yeah, well, I mean, um, what was Derek Meddings doing at the time? What what would have he been doing in seventy nine? Superman, sort of Superman Two, and yeah, stuff like that, wouldn't he? I suppose he'd been going on to Super, like finishing off Superman Two at that yes. point. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, because you know Brian Johnson was working on Empire Strikes Back, so that's the other effects yeah. bod, and Nick Alder was there as well, and of course, you yeah. know, John Barry was working on Empire Strikes Back and was given time. He, he was given permission to leave Empire Strikes Back to go and do Saturn Three, and then when he was effectively fired after two weeks he went back to empire strikes back didn't he went uh, uh working on the hoth base uh, which is right, the thing yeah. that he designed he designed the hoth base yeah and then it was only about two two weeks after that they uh he passed away wasn't yeah it? yeah yeah so... he, he complained of a, a severe headache and had a temperature yeah. and uh yeah. and collapsed and uh died of it, it it was called a rare form of infectious meningitis yeah and you know, you've read this as well. I believed it was actually just the stress. That's of what, what they reckon, because nobody you know. else. It, it it was meant to be infectious meningitis, but nobody else caught it on yeah, the set. You know, so, so he obviously didn't pick it up from the set. Otherwise, other people would have went down with it. You just yeah. It but, suggested uh, yeah. that his uh, uh, his depression brought about by you, you know being kicked off Saturn three affected his yeah. immune system. Yeah, just lowered it enough to let it in, sort of thing, from somebody mm. else, but. Uh, yeah, it was a shame. I do remember seeing the obituary in Starburst, um, you know, uh, for John Barry. And um, again, as a teenager, he looked like a much older person. I didn't realise he was only 40, 43. I knew he was in his early yeah, 40s. 43. Uh, but yeah, 43. Yeah, 43 is nothing, is no. it? I'll tell you what was nice is, is that uh, um, for his funeral, the, the entire production of Empire Strikes Back shut down for the day in yeah. order for the crew yeah. to pay their last respects at his funeral. I did hear, uh, again, I'm not too sure I read it, that it actually hit George Lucas quite bad. He was very close to George Lucas, I mm. think, um, you know, because of the, the work, obviously, on the, the, the first film. Well, they, that, that, yes, um, because it was through John Barry's urging that Roger Christian got, got, yeah. got the job on Star Wars. He was working on Lucky Lady as well, wasn't he? That's and that's right, how yeah, they met yeah. George Lucas when he came down, because yeah. he had got word, oh, they, that those guys down there, you should talk to them, them production mm. guys about working on Star Wars. That's how he met John Barry. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, at that funeral, um, Stanley Donham was there, so was Irving Kirshner, Gary Kurtz, and Stanley Kubrick was there as oh, well. Right, yeah. 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 Oh. But um, the, the one thing that's always got me, now, I don't know if you've got the Cinefix, which covers the little bit of Saturn III. Um, it's Oxford Scientific Films. It is, yes. Who, who did the effects, and there's a... In this, it's not a Cinefix obviously devoted to Saturn Three, but there's a section on Oxford Scientific Films in one of them, and it shows you them filming the the sequence with the ship in the asteroids. Yes. And it was like actually in a like a fish tank. Wasn't it, it was. It was, in, it, it was like submerged in water, and you can tell that. And I do remember watching it with my friend at the time, and he said, "Why is the ship underwater?" Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it, it's funny that they did it because it is a snorkel periscope. That's how they filmed it. Yeah. With, with a snorkel periscope. Yes. And it doesn't look like a particularly big miniature, does it? It, it you know, no. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to say how big it was, but the sh- the shots you get kind of of over the shoulder of the um, Harvey Keitel in the in the actual ship and the, his point of view are really nice. They really remind me of the kind of over the shot painting of the Tie Fighter pilot yes, that yeah. Macquarie did, um, and they're quite nice. But the actual shots of the ship in the the asteroids, I I just haven't got a clue why they decided to put it in like liquid. Well. Um, it seems that, okay, yeah, these Oxford scientific films, um, it wasn't lack of talent that led to this. It, it was lack of budget because their their effects budget was slashed because Lou Grade uh, was pumping more money into Raise the Titanic. So they yeah. should have had more money to do it, and then that was slashed. So that, I think, is the reason why. Yeah, again, with Lou Grade being in charge of this, you think he would have got sort of the Jerry Anderson mob, you mm. know what I mean? There must have been other Jerry Anderson people yeah. there. Uh, you know, um, 
Ian Schoons or someone like that. Yeah, any of I mean, there's a there's a Nick Alder and any of those, and you know, there's a lot of people who could have potentially gone onto this movie. Um, it's it's probably the the thing it's lacking in the most in a way is like some of the miniature work isn't that good. It, it I still like it. Uh, don't get me wrong, I actually like the miniature work, but it's it could have been so much better. Yes. yes. Um, it kind of fits the tone of the movie in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got one last uh, uh, fact about Saturn itself, because as I say, there, there, there was cost-cutting measures put in, um, right. and um, they still needed shots of Saturn. Um, Lou Grade never threw anything away. They still had some footage originally created four years before for Space 1999 that they never used of Saturn, and that's what th- those right. shots of Saturn are from Space 1999, because originally when... Uh, the moon blasts out of orbit you were going to see the moon fly past Saturn and they just never used right. it so yeah they pinched that bit of footage from Space 1999 yeah hmm. did he ever name the moon because I'm just looking at a list here of moons and like obviously Saturn's got a lot of moons and some are literally just rocks but you've got uh, moons like Enceladus and Tethys, I think you pronounce it. Then there's Dion. It's Tethys. According, according to this, I've got, again, never throw anything away. Uh, you, uh, the internet is fabulous, you know, for research and stuff, but an actual book. Here, here it is. Yeah. I've got the book. On the back, Tethys, the long, dead, deserted third moon orbit, orbiting Saturn. Codename Saturn oh, Three. Right. A lonely chunk of ammonia ice with two sole inhabitants. Maybe it's the ammonia. Maybe they need the ammonia for some reason for... Doing yeah. the plant life, mm. yeah. Pa- apparently, uh, yeah. There's a there's a little page here. It was uh, d- uh, discovered by uh, Cassini in 1864. All right. Yeah, one of the first Saturnian moons to be discovered, apparently. But uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't remember whether they actually named it. So, oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. I tell you what's sad though. I'm looking on the back of the uh, uh, um, paperback here, and it says here, story by John Barry. Screenplay yeah. by Martin Amis, produced and directed by Stanley Donnan. That's yeah. sad, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It it says it, the, the the moon takes forty three point three hours to orbit around Saturn. The orbit um, and it mentions about it's tidally locked in phase with its parent planet. Okay. I don't know what that means. Tidally locked. Cause the, 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 there's a bit in the movie, isn't it, where it kind of goes into sort of like darkness because yes. that ship kind of flies past. Yes, it says in the trailer and, uh, that it, it has twenty two days of darkness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, I do like the film. I do like this opening sequence. I do like all the bits with Hector. The only problem I yeah. have with this film is, yeah, it's it's just the eternally cheerful, gurning Kirk Douglas, and and the especially now the the the, the dodgy age gap between them two. Mm. You know, yeah. In the days of when I used to have my old blog, I don't know if you ever. I used to follow your that. blog. Yeah, yeah. There was a rumor that. James Cameron wanted to remake this. Oh right, uh, and Arnold, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. So I yeah, just choked into going, my into my cup. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, that was that's going back a while. But I mean, what yeah. as Hector was Arnold going to be Hector? No, no. no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, it, you know what my thoughts on remakes are, but I think this is one of the very few movies I think you could actually sort of remake and make it different mm. enough. You know what I mean? You you could sort of set it like on a much bigger base, and you could do a lot more with it it's it's quite you know it is it, even though there's a lot of budget i think how what was the budget on this do you no, have no because it seems like it's decent but it's also quite a small movie yeah and I'm, I'm sure them sets did cost a lot of money because they are very sprawling sets um and the nicely built sets um on the on the base you get a feeling an awful lot of the money went on hector himself don't you yeah yeah, but, you know, it would be interesting to see what it was, but I think it's one of the few films, because I think it's so little known by probably the average film go that, you know, I think you could remake mm. it. And, you know, nobody had sort of... It's not like remaking Total Recall or Robocop. I think it's... There's probably very few people I know that have, uh, you know, seen or talk about this mm. movie. Mm. All right. Well, having said all that, um, thinking on it, on this sequence, you've got to rate it now. Because you said that, yeah, that the whole film itself is a seven, but this yeah. sequence, what would you give it? Let me have a think. Uh, <laughs> you haven't thought about this, have you? 
It's been so no, long it, since we've done one of these things. You've forgotten the, the, the rating bit. It's quite a punchy sort of sequence. It, it it does go quite quick. You know, it's not dragged out or anything. It's It doesn't take long to watch this opening sequence. I'd probably give it maybe a seven and a half. Okay. I was going to give it a seven. Um, right. Because, okay. yeah, five is average. It's above average. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it has got a charm to it. I like the design of it and everything. You can't really... Yeah, yeah. there's a couple of matte lines in in places. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the, the miniature landscape when the uh, ship's coming down does look... Yeah, as you say, depth of field lets it down. No, I'll, I'll give it a seven. So 7.25, all right? Yeah. I've definitely seen a photograph somewhere online of that miniature, of that surface, and it looks bigger than you expect. But then I don't know why they ended up having such a poor job of, you know, creating scale. Mm. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a bit odd, mm. really. Uh, All right. But uh, that was the other thing I was going to mention. You mentioned the um, it's on Blu-ray in America mm. with, with some extras. Now I wonder if there's any kind of behind-the-scenes footage of Keitel actually doing his takes with his own voice, obviously, because the, vo the voice was dubbed um, in post, but it'd be interesting to hear, hear what he sounded like reading the mm. lines, because apparently he had a bit of a kind of Bronx yeah, accent, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons they replaced him, but I wonder, again, you know, you hear these stories like um, um, her who was in Krull, what was she called again? Um, oh, yeah. Anthony. And she apparently showed up for the premiere of Krull, not realising her own voice had been redubbed. I assume Harvey Keitel knew well in advance. Mm. I don't think he probably showed up for the premiere and realised his voice had been dubbed. No. Uh, they probably will have told him. And by the way, Taxi Driver, I've just checked, was 1976. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so so we, we, we are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, so Main Street must have been about Four. 74. Yeah, 70, yeah, 74, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, do, do you know what's just occurred to me? If they did remake Saturn 3... Um, Harvey Keitel could play the role of Adam now. Yeah, he yeah. Could, couldn't he? Yeah, who would be? Uh, who would be? Uh, Farrah Fawcett. Well, it'd have to be someone like Jennifer Lawrence or somebody like that, wouldn't it? Or Scarlett yeah, Johansson probably. or somebody like that. Yeah. As long as the robot's not CGI. Mm. Yeah, it would have to be practical. Yeah. 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 Let's get old yeah. old chummy um, um, District Nine guy. Or, yeah, I was always quite disturbed when the dog gets killed. In the book, that is that is quite graphic, and I remember there was that there's a photo in Starburst where he's he's clearly cut in half, and you've got yeah. Farrah Fawcett on the floor whimpering, and yeah, the dog's being yeah. cut in half, and also doesn't he um, cut Harvey Keitel's fingers off as well? No, it's, I think it's the whole hand, isn't it? He does, doesn't off. he? Because there's um, a deleted scene, isn't there, where, where Hector is actually wearing Harvey Keitel's head. He's he's stuck Harvey Keitel's head on top of his like two little uh, prong, prong things, things yeah. that he uses for eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the the deleted scene, which is obviously the image which was splashed all over Starburst yes. and all oh. over the posters with Farrah Fawcett and like the kind of saucy yes. sort of suspenders. And that's in the trailer. That's in the trailer as well. They they, they put yeah. that in the trailer. Yeah, that was a dream sequence, wasn't there? Because there's a there's a drugs culture in this film, isn't there? And and Harvey Keitel is saying, "Oh, do you want a blue?" Don't. Yeah, well, again, that kind of for me harkened back to sort of Logan's mm. Run, because I think Logan's Run, you get they get this idea of that, you know, there's sort of stimulation and drugs and things yeah. um <laughs> so it, it it does feel like a a pre-star wars pre-alien movie in lots of mm, respects mm. um yeah it's 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 a, it's a strange film but i think it does have its own definitely got its own like unique sort of vibe mm, to it. Mm. it 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 reminds yeah. me also of of star crash you know some of the reasons i like saturn 3 it's the same reason i like star crash you know um it's got yeah. charm to it the effects yes yeah. that, that they uh, can be a bit hokey but uh, um, you go along with it. You know that it's not, you know, Oscar-winning material. Yeah, the corridors and the space station, what's weird about them is they're kind of almost like they've been carved out the actual rock, but then there's pipes and catwalks, but then there's just these huge kind of blue and red pipes, <laughs> kind of, and that's a little bit sort of Barbarella, yes. a bit Star yeah. isn't it? You know, a little bit sort of psychedelic going yeah. on there. You think, what are they meant to be, those like giant yeah. pipes kind of coming out the wall, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's a bit odd in that respect, but again, it's got its own yes, charm. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hope we get a UK Blu-ray release at some point. It would be nice to see some of the things we've just been talking about there um, put on a it, special it'd be edition. It'd really nice if a, 
if a company like Arrow picks yes. it up, because I say, you know, they're, they're the ones that do good extra. That's up their street as um, well. I can see Arrow releasing that, no problem. Yeah, next time I go on the uh, Instagram for Arrow, I'm going to... Recommend it. Dr- drop them drop yes. a hint. Yeah, they're nice guys, yeah. Yeah, because I, I know that um, some of the um, Arrow releases I've got, uh, some of the documentary footage on them, it actually says uh, the documentary footage is courtesy of Shout Factory. Well, Shout Factory, the American mm. company, that have released a lot of things like Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy yeah. of Terror... So they must have some kind of communication with those guys if they're letting them use their documentary mm. stuff. Uh, but it, it just baffles me just why we still have all these stupid regions. Yeah. And, you know, some countries have got films and some countries haven't. Um, you know, there's, there's several uh, films. I can't remember which one it was now. A friend of mine was asking about one recently. And I could only see it on Blu-ray in Spain with Spanish language track. Well, I, I mentioned it earlier. Battle Beyond the Stars. You can't get it in the UK. I, I I've got it, but it's it is a Spanish release. It's it it it's. But you know you can change the the, the yeah change, change the, track. the track and get rid of the subtitles. Yes. Yeah, but is is all opening text? No, no, no. It's all there. in English. It's all in oh, English. Really? Okay. But uh, yeah, you have to buy it from Spain because it's never had a UK yeah. release, which seems insane considering there's a Blu-ray in America. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That that that's mm. odd. Because I think that that might have been Shout Factory then in America, because I know they did release some of the common stuff, and there was things like Piranha right. and right. stuff like that released. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay, well, thank right. you, Andrew. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we had an episode. Yeah. I'm hoping we can get uh, things more regularly. So you and I have got to talk off air about what your next subject is going to be after this yeah. one. Okay, All right? Then. Okay, right. cheers yeah. then, Andrew. Cheers then, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.